Welcome back to another episode of Investing Your Future. I'm your host, Kenny, CEO of Corinda Group Corporation. I want to thank you guys for joining me for another episode. I want to thank you guys for sending me comments, sending me voice notes on everything I receive, every single one of you. And every single comment, I'd read it. I uh, try to reply to everything, but I get a lot of comments from all different medias. So reach out to us on Twitter, uh, Corinda Group on Investing Your Future, YouTube, Corinda Group, or CorindaGroup.com. Or send us an email at info at if you want some help with your business or your ventures. We can definitely help you out. And uh, I'm just thankful for you guys for listening and also learning from me and sending me the results. I love seeing those testimonies of people saying, hey, listen, I implemented this and it worked. And uh, it changed my life. And I appreciate that. So if this happens for you, please reach out to us. We always like to hear it. It kind of gives us um, you know, that, that support and gives us more courage to put out more content. Now, today's episode, I'm not going to be talking, really. I'm going to pass it on to um, a friend of mine, Drew Hanlon. I went to his clinic. Um, he's a basketball coach, NBA skills coach, so he teaches all the high-level guys who are in the NBA, teaches them skill work, and teaches them how to play basketball at a high level. But I got a chance to talk to him, and I didn't get a chance to interview him, but I got a chance to sit down in his free clinic, and I got a chance to record it. So I wanted you guys to hear it and learn from it. So, yes, he's a basketball coach. And if you're in basketball, great. You can pick up, pick up from that. But also in life general, he teaches so many other things in terms of how you can, you know, if you just change the word basketball to business and you change, let's say, team to your employees, you can really learn so much from this and implement these things that he teaches. Um, so like Abraham Lincoln, listen, I learned from everyone, even what not to do. So if you learn like the way I learn, you learn from every single person. I learned from a, from a kid. I learned from teenagers. I learned from adults. I learned from older people to get a full perspective. And this person right here is a very smart man. That's why I have him um, on my podcast. And, and I apologize for the noise in the background. We're at a, at a gym. Um, but there were about maybe 100, 150 people there also. And I wanted you guys to learn from him also. From, from what I experienced, this man is full of knowledge. And if you take it correctly... It could really help your life also. All right? So I'll see you guys next week, and enjoy. Arm and a leg, and a lot of coaches' clinics, you go, and you have questions that you want answered, and you don't get them answered. You get up here, and a lot of high-level profile coaches, they tell you stories. You might get a few inbounds plays, a few player development drills, but you don't get what you want. And so what we're going to do today is what I did yesterday, and the coaches really liked it, is we are gonna do a straight question and answer. Now question and answer doesn't mean me sit here and talk to you guys. It means me pulling some of you guys out here. We can do drills, we can do plays, we can do business talk. We can do whatever you guys want so that when you guys leave here, you guys leave with what you came here for, which is some stuff that you guys can actually use on your own. So saying that, I'm gonna open up the floor and I'm gonna to try to get to everybody. You can ask as many questions as you want. We're just gonna stay here. We had guys yesterday, I was in Philadelphia, so the first 75 questions were about Mark Huffold's jump shot. And then after that, we got to talk about some other stuff. But we can talk about anything you guys want from how to get by in the players to how to fix a, a bad shot pocket to, hey, I need a, a sideline out of bounds play with three seconds left and whatever you guys want, I'm gonna be an open book and I promise you, the reason I did this was for you guys. So I'm not gonna hold anything back, there's not, Anything that uh, that I'm not going to share with you guys, okay? So saying that, I'm opening the floor. Just throw up your hand, and we'll let me know what you guys want to cover first. Yep. some players that have a good background on basketball and some players that are just starting out and how does he kind of address their shot issues in a group setting the benefit that I have is I do all my stuff individually so that I can really get into the details I do believe that shooting should be something that is individualized this is where I think most shooting coaches go wrong is they try to teach everybody the same shot 
And if you look around the NBA at the highest level, and you look at the shooting coaches, there's really only one shooting coach, Skip Inglewood, who hasn't been fired like 10 times. And what happens is these shooting coaches, they know a lot about shooting, or they have a method or a book that makes them kind of a guru. But at some point, a team is at a player that's struggling with their shot, and they haven't been able to fix it because their one method doesn't work. And so what I'll tell you guys is, um, let me see one, uh, all right, can I see one of those basketballs right there? Can I see it? No, you're good. I'm good right here. Okay, so shooting. Okay, I'm going to break down the shot for you guys and tell you guys some things that I think are really good, some things that I think could be good. So the things that we did, we did a big study. I did a big study a couple years ago. We studied the top 20 shooters in the NBA so that we could factually see what works and what doesn't work. Because some trainers and coaches were teaching 10 toes to the rim, and some trainers and coaches were teaching like a, a landing with like Steph Curry, kind of reverse engineering Steph Curry shot. And so what I decided was, I'm not gonna believe anybody, I'm gonna study results, look at analytics, and find out what really works and what doesn't. What we found is the number one determinant, if you make or miss shots, was it the angle change of your feet. So if I started at perfect square, I need to land at perfect square. If I start at 11 o'clock, I need to land at 11 o'clock. If I start at 11 o'clock and land at 9 o'clock, my results start going south. And the, the, the truth is, the more you twist, the more you miss. It was almost a direct correlation, okay? That was the number one determinant if you make or miss shots. The number two determinant was your base, the amount of width between your feet. If you started wide and then came together, even if you kept that same angle, the results drop big time. So you want to keep a wide base. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Clay Thompson's shot is absolutely perfect almost. He's even widened his base almost to this wide because he realizes, like a lot of other people, you don't need as much kind of power if you're able to get your shot off quick. Not many guys are, are high jump shooting three-point shooters. And the crazy thing is, if you really look at the great two three-point shooters, most of them are very set shot oriented, but they just have a quick kind of release so they don't need as much effort into their shot. And the, the thing that makes sense about it is, the more you do with the shot, the more you can mess up with your shot. So this, the more you can trim the fat, the better your shot's gonna be. The third determinant was wrist speed, which is weird. But wrist speed, the, the quickness of your wrist snap determines if you made or missed shots. That was the third biggest thing. The reason is because that imparts backspin on the ball, which softens a shot, which means if you do hit the rim, you have a more likely chance that it goes in. So your kids need to have good wrist speed. Almost all the bad shooters I've ever worked with have bad wrist flexibility. If you tell a player to go like this, spread their hand and come back, and they cannot come back, I've literally had NBA players that go like this and cannot break more than 30%, they're gonna struggle. Shimmy Olajay, who's a Celtic, a lot of you guys know him, last year he actually like messed up his wrist really, really bad to the point where he could not go past 20 degrees. So when he was shooting, he was literally like heaving it because he had no wrist flexibility. So when I came up to fix his shot, I literally got to the point where I said, Shimmy, just let you know, until the injury's addressed, we cannot address your shot because there's some things that I can't control and that's, a that's not a mechanical issue, that is a physical issue. So wrist speed, and there's things you can do to improve wrist flexibility. I was wrong. I was like, oh, you just push it back. That actually tightens up this, which then you know, kind of reverses it, and it's like a drawback. What you need to do is work these muscles, so you really want to push this way, so then eventually it snaps back this way. So don't do what I did. I used to think it was just push it. That actually tightens up this, which makes it kind of stop itself. You want to be able to kind of increase wrist flexibility using weights and really get to the point where you loosen this up, whether that's soft tissue, deep tissue work, whether that's kind of wrist flexibility, mobility, so that you can eventually get a good wrist snap. And then the fourth thing was the arc on the shot. You want a high arc. The higher the arc, the better the drop angle, the more room for improvement, and the more room for error, okay? So those are the four things that really matter. If I was teaching a shot, I always reverse engineer what works. If you notice, there's a lot of shooters with different mechanics 
but there's one consistency. At the end, they all end up with their hand in the middle of the ball at the point of release. Steph Curry starts with the ball right here. But he comes up, he rotates his hand, and at the point of release, his hand is under the ball so they can get a good snap. Clay Thompson is perfect here and perfect there. Brad Beal comes in the middle, and then at the end, his hand is in the middle of the ball so that he can eventually shoot the ball straight. So what I do is, I start there. I start with literally them in front of the rim with their wrist right here, because that's the eventual goal, and I get a good, quick wrist snap. We're sitting there, we're shooting shots. I'm just teaching them how to really impart good batsmen on the ball. Then the next thing we do is we break it down. So instead of doing this and immediately going to one hand form shooting, what I do is I say start here and we go backwards. We go up and then go backwards. The reason we do that is if they can control that motion, then they'll be able to control it upward. So they feel like they're just pulling it down, but when they go back up, it's effortless. If you do the opposite where they start here and go up, they're gonna naturally have a little jerking motion. So if you just go like this, bring it down, then you can really feel the path that it's supposed to go up. Reverse engineer everything, okay? Then what you do is you have their balance hand on the side, not touching the ball, and you just go like this. Bring it down and it eventually comes back on. Well, that works on the timing of the release, when the hand should come off. And then after that, then you can start working on the base, shoulders over your knees so that you're on balance. You can start working on the rhythm where the ball goes down. As your hips go down, the ball starts to come up. Then you meet at the top, you straighten out on your toes, and then you use that power and momentum to shoot a high free-flowing shot. Now, saying that, I've learned more about shooting in the last year working with some of the shooters that I've, I've had because I learned about breath. You don't ever think about breathing, but bad shooters, for whatever reason, when they're breathing, they have trouble talking as well. So I'm here, I'm talking, I'm cool because I can control my breath, I can control my core. Bad shooters, you'll notice that they tend to head back, ribs out, and they, they struggle breathing because they breathe out as they shoot. So they, and as they do that, it's like almost like a bench press. That's what they're feeling, like you know when you bench press, you right there, and then it becomes a whole body push instead of a free-flowing shot. So you need to be able to tighten your core. Right now I am flexing my abs so that everything is almost paralyzed besides what I want to be relaxed so that I can have a nice smooth shot that is controlled. Okay, so that is my long spiel on what a basic shot should be. You guys can imagine when you go into details, you start talking about hand positioning. If they have big hands, that finger should be right on the ball. If they have smaller hands, you just move it over and they split the air hole. But that'll help them out. If they have big hands, the problem is, I've got like four or seven footers that I work with. You can't just put your hand in the middle of the ball because then there's no room for the other hand because then they're like this. So what you have to do is you have to compromise, but you still want that hand in the middle of the ball because ultimately you're gonna part backspin with these two fingers, okay? I know that went a little bit more in depth than you're probably thinking, but that's what we got. Next question. So his question was basically, you have everybody that wants to be a scorer. How do you teach these kids how to be more than a scorer, be unselfish, contribute, all that kind of stuff? That's tough. I had a question the other day that I'm going to answer. It's going to come back to your thing. Where I had a coach in Philadelphia yesterday say, hey, Drew, I want to know from a trainer's perspective, you know, I got a girl that is a big girl, and we need her to be a dominant post player, but she wants to be out on the perimeter and wants to do all this. And it's killing me because we need her down low. And I said, let me ask you a question. She's like, so as a trainer, why do you teach her that stuff? And I said, let me ask you a question. What if the best thing for that girl is that she works out on the perimeter so that she can get a scholarship? She's more likely to get a scholarship out there. I said, what if Kevin Durant was one of your players and you made Kevin Durant post up and now he wasn't Kevin Durant? I said, now vice versa. What if Kevin Garnett said, hey, I want to go out on the perimeter, maybe he's never KG. I said, what you don't realize is you got to put yourself in the position of the head coach, the player, the trainer, the parents, 
you got to put yourself in a position and say, okay, I see your side, and then compromise. So what I would say to that is the, the saying that I use all the time. Master the role that you're in while working towards the role that you want. So hey, listen, we need you in this role. But if you can prove to me that you can expand that role in the way that you want to through consistent results in practice, then I'll allow you to do it in game. I got a good one. There's an old school coach, one time NBA coach, and he was tired of big guys jacking threes. This is when the threes started becoming more dominant. And his rule of thumb was he was tired of big guys complaining to the media. Well, I can work. I've been shooting threes all summer. I can make them, but coach doesn't let me. So he said, hey, listen, you believe in yourself so much, you shoot it. But if you miss it, you're bent. Well, coach, well, I don't want to be bent. Well, when you told me you could make them, if you trust yourself so much that you think that that shot's going in, shoot it. But just know the, the punishment is if you miss, you're coming out. Then you give it to the player. I think that the, the reason why I've been able to find some success in what I do is I am brutally honest. Last night, Jimmy Day and I were in the gym until 2.30 a.m. working on his shot. And I was joking because Michael Shrewsbury was here. He brought his son to the player clinic. And I, Mike was talking, you know, about the Celtics. And one of the things we are laughing at, I said, Shimmy, you realize for you to play, you need the other team's star player to be busting some ass. Because that's the only way he's going to get in the game. He's a stopper. Giannis was killing the Celtics. Shimmy, go bowling him. Shimmy holds him to 37% field goal percentage. Shimmy gets to play. So Shimmy really needs Ben Simmons to go off tomorrow for him to play, and then he needs to make shots to stay in the game. And as crazy as that sounds, if I came up to Shimmy and said, hey, look at Jason. Jason's doing mid-post stuff. Jason's doing this. I would be hurting Shimmy out. And so what I would say is be truthful. What's going to help them in the short term and what's going to help them in the long term and put those things together and work with them? I think most people are afraid. There was a really cool story about Popovich where uh, Dwan Blair, who was one of the players that played for him, had a really good, like, run in the game and then he took him out and at halftime he came up and said hey Dewan if you go home and start MFing me and you start telling everybody that I'm screwing you over you're right I am screwing you over because you deserve to play but you know what I'm making a decision that I think it's best for this team long term that I sit you out because I think the other guys I'm playing are going to help us but I'm screwing you over because you're working hard in practice that's why he's amazing because he did that, and he was honest, and now Dwan Blair doesn't go in the car and start complaining and bitching. Instead, he's like, yo, what the fuck does that, Popovich said, I'm, he's fucking me over. <laughs> but now he realizes that he can be, he's real. And I think that the, the, the big thing that you just said is, most people are afraid to have that conversation. Most people are, are afraid to have a conversation with two players. My guys hate it. I have some guys that this year, I got asked the question, would an all pure sweat team beat the Warriors? And I was like, yes. I said, we've got the best big man in Joel Embiid. We've got the best, you know, two guard in the East. we got Brad Beal. we got this, this. Started going down the line of my guys. I was like, we got Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Markel Fultz, Zach Levine. Started going down. And some of my guys were like, hold up, bro. The other guys were in the gym. And I was like, you would never play. Mo Bamba, you wouldn't even be on the fucking team. <laughs> <laughs> and they, 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 they take offense to that. But it's the truth. I said, hey, listen, that's because you're 19. But when you're 26, you'll make the team. But people don't like that. But what you can't do is I can't go to Jason and be like, Jason, you're the best player on the Celtics. Hey, Gordon, you're the best player on the Celtics. I can't do that. Because then eventually the truth is going to come out and one of them is going to get pissed off. So to answer your question, the truth. Work with them in the truth. But I'm never afraid. Jason and Joel sit right there. I'm like, yo, Joel is better than you, Jason. But Jason, I hope you become better than Joel because you know you have a chance to be. That's the truth. I literally will walk into a Celtics facility right after this, and they'll be like, hey, who do you want to win tomorrow? And I'll be like, I don't give a fuck. You guys lose by 40 tomorrow, but Jason has 30, Gordon has 30, and Shimmy has 10. Cool. But I'm on it. <laughs> And I think that that's what most people struggle with. Most people aren't real these days. Next question. 
Master the role that you're in while working towards the role that you want. Yep. I can't hear you. How do you get younger players to buy into the system? I think number one, tell them, convince them. I think that's one of the coolest things about coaching is that it's your job to communicate to your team why you're doing certain things and, and then also owning up to it. Like I said with Popovich, I mean, if you came out and said, hey, listen, guys, we are going to run a spread offense because this, this, and this, and it fits our personnel, and you can take ownership of that. If it's not working, that, okay, now I'm going to pivot to a different strategy, then that's on you to make the right decisions, and it's on the players to buy in, and it's also, hey, listen, this is what I believe is going to help us win the most games. You either buy in and help us win more games, or I'm going to find people that will. The one thing that I wish I had the ability to do that I don't, that coaches do, is the bench. That shit is powerful. The thing I do is if I have an asshole that doesn't want to work hard, I just cut him. Easy. I cut him. Or I just start grossly overcharging him, so I say, listen, I don't give a fuck about you, but you're paying me a thousand bucks an hour, fuck it. <laughs> so for you guys, you have the option to bench him. For me, I can overcharge him or kick him out. And, and so I think that we have to use the power we have, but also it goes after to buying in. The thing that I, that I don't like about coaches' clinics is that coaches sometimes write down everything, and then they go back and they're like, new strategy alert, how can I fit my team in? And it's like, no, 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 the opposite. What does your team do and build something around your team? And I think that that's what the NBA coaches do really well, and what football coaches do a thousand times better than basketball coaches is they say, okay, we have a pocket quarterback, so we're gonna run a bunch of pocket schemes. We're not gonna put Peyton Manning rolling out like Michael Vick was back in the day because he's going to get fucking crushed, you know what I mean? So I think that that's one thing the basketball coaches need to do better. Instead of falling in love with, you know, oh man, the Golden State Warriors run this, it's like, yeah, the Golden State Warriors have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, like, and you have fucking Jimmy and John and a six foot two post player, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to work this way. So that's what I would do is just show them, and the more that you can make them feel a part of the, the system, the process, it's the better. What I do with my guys, I create a SWOT analysis. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths are what, what is gonna get you in the game? What's gonna make you an all-star? What's gonna get you paid? Weaknesses, what are some of the things that you can do better? Opportunities, what can you add to your game that's gonna make you a better player, that's gonna make you more money, can help you win more games for your team? Threats, what are things that can hurt you from getting a long-term contract? What are things that can keep you out of the game in crunch time? What are things that other teams, opponents can scout that take, it, take you out of the game? That's what we do. And then after that, we say, okay, I'm working with whoever, player X. Player X, tell me all the things you want to work on this summer. We write down 50 things. Then we say, player X, rank those things. They start ranking them. Then I say, let me ask you a question. You just put ball handling as number one. If the only thing that happened this summer is you got better ball handling, would that be a good summer? Well, no, no, no. I would rather be able to, okay, then that's really number one. Because sometimes in an entire summer, you can only get good at one thing. A great summer, you get good at three things. But what it should ask, you should ask yourself, if nothing else happened, if this one thing happened, that is our priority. If nothing else happened besides number one and number two, those are our priorities. So ask your team this. If you're a coach, ask yourself, if nothing else happened, if everything went wrong, but if you guys did one thing, what would that be? Because that's, that's the core principle that you guys are coaching by. My high school coach would have been like, if we can keep guys out of the paint, we're good. And then he would have said, wait a second, wait a second, let me change it. And he would have said, if we can contest every shot, we're good. And when we started changing the mentality of, just keep guys out of the paint to contest every shot. What that accomplished was, to contest every shot, that meant we had to be closely guarding the players. To contest every shot, we wanted to funnel them and keep them in front of us so we could contest it. And there was a lot of good things that happened by just saying contest every shot. If you contest every shot at the high school level, you're gonna have a chance to win a lot of games. But you can't give open shots, you can't give open layups. That, that's what you can't do and you can't follow. But ask yourself, what is the one thing that your team is going to do every night? 
Now if you got two things, what are the two things? What are the three things? And now you start building your base, you start building your program, and you start building your team. Next question. So one of the questions was, can you change a shot during the season? During the season, you can tweak a shot. So that means I can take a guy and say, hey, anything lower body, you can change. So if you want to improve their base, if you want to improve their balance, if you want to you know, give them a different rhythm, you can do that in, in a second. Anything upper body, messing with hand positioning, elbow, you can't. I always tell people it takes three months to change a shot. Three months to change a shot. That was why Markel didn't play summer league. And he had some, he still is dealing with some uh, physical things, injuries that are just like Shimmy, that are restricting him to do certain movement patterns. But it took three months for us to train him how to shoot the shot that we wanted him to shoot. As far as drills, that was a super generic question. I need more. Like you can't say what kind of drills I do in a workout, because let me tell you what I would do. I would reverse engineer exactly what you're going to do in a game. So Shimmy Olajet, you're going to, right here, right here. This right here, this line right here. Yep. See this? Right here. Stop. Right here. This is your area. You're never gonna do anything besides right here. This is your fucking home. <laughs> like they can literally suck just put an ankle bracelet on offense, and if he went like this, it would buzz, and he would never get shot. He's gonna stand here and shoot. Now, eventually, then he gets one dribble to go dunk it. That's another thing. That's like a Hey, we'll let, we'll let the little buzzer off for a second if you can, can glide down here. That's what they want him to do. Jason, we're going to do a ton of mid-post stuff to post up guard. We're going to do a ton of shifts and drifts. The Celtics are a very analytical team. They wanted to shoot a lot of threes this year. They're pissed at these passes to be look. So we're going to shoot a lot of contested threes, a lot of rush threes. Whatever they're going to do in a game, we just work on it over and over again. One thing I would do if I was a coach, in-season workouts, in my opinion, most coaches suck at it because they don't prioritize it. And they think maintain what we did this summer instead of improve all season and be at our best when we need to be at our best. And so what I would do if I was a coach, I would give each player three workouts that were all 30 minutes. Let me tell you how easy this is. I'm going to take Joel Embiid, who I think is going to be an MVP candidate this year, and I'm going to break down what he does in three workouts. Workout one, mid-post and low-post move. Okay, that's one workout. Workout number two, pick and roll, pick and pop, DHO. So he's gonna catch a shoot, catch an attack, that right there. Workout number three, play out of double teams. Pass out of double teams, attack double teams, because tomorrow night, Al Horford's not gonna be able to guard him. So the Celtics are gonna throw two and three players, just like they did in the postseason. Now he doesn't have a mask on this year, so he's not going to struggle seeing fadeaways, but he's going to see two guys all year long. Joel was number one last year in isolation points per possession. He was the fourth worst in points per possession against double teams because he turned the ball over a lot. So those are our three workouts. Now I would tell Joel, you need to do one of the, each one of those workouts twice a week, and one day you can take off. So come in the gym 30 minutes before, stay after the gym 30 minutes after, and do your three workouts. For Jason, it would be different. You know, we'd have a catch and shoot, like a game shot, corner drifts, corner lifts, transition catch and shoots, curls, all the shots that he gets, that's one day. Day two, mid-post isolations. Day three, perimeter moves that end up in finishes because he struggles losing the ball on a lot of drives when he gets bumped. There's his three workouts. So just, that's all I would do. I just literally revert, I just watch a game. Like I have on Instagram, I do game skills, game results. And coaches and players are always like, yo, the player did the exact same thing in workouts from the exact same place. I'm like, duh. <laughs> so you're supposed to be doing it. Like, sorry he didn't pick up seven cones and throw a tennis ball. And they're like, Serena Williams does not go around hitting basketballs with a rack. You know what I mean? So like, just whatever they're gonna do in a game, do it in practice. Yeah, so I can't go in too much depth. What I would just say is that um, things happened that led to an injury, yeah. and then when you're injured, then it leads to 
confidence issues, and then it leads to just a cycle. There's, there's still physical issues, but um, it's like Shimmy's shot last year. Without wrist flexibility, without shoulder flexibility, you know what I mean? If you tried to shoot a shot and you were like this, good luck. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Yeah, he was. He shot 41% from three. So it, it's, it's different, too, because you got guys, Lonzo Ball shot over 40% in college. And that motherfucker can't shoot. You know what I mean? So I think that a lot of times people get bent on the results. But my thing is, do they have good mechanics? He had, even at Washington, he shot the ball a little out in front, stuff like that. Confidence takes players to a different place than they ever can be. And so um, he's in a good spot, though. I know a lot of you guys don't. I hope he makes fucking shots tomorrow. You know what I mean? So. I, I wrote for the cat. Now, pick and roll play, do you teach the guys with cat on different situations? Like, what angles do you like? Do you like sideline, top of the key? Yeah, so, so pick and rolls. Uh, this is actually, I, I love this question. If you guys are good instructors, in my opinion, again, everything I say, I don't want you to think one way is right, one way is wrong. This is my opinion. You will teach pick and roll, and you will teach everything in a systematic approach so that decision making is second nature. So when a guy has a pick and roll, say he's on a wing ball screen, I'm like, option number one is reject. Because the coverage is forcing you to push you in a direction, option one is reject. Option two is use the screen. So now you just have A or B. Do you reject or do you use the screen? That's it. If, even if you guess, you have a 50% chance of not getting it wrong, right? Then when you use the screen, if they're in a drop coverage, a zone coverage, when they're dropping back, shoot the pocket jump shot, split through, or beat them the other way. One, two, or three. If you go to shoot the ball, then your question becomes, do I shoot or do I hesitate? A or B. If you wrap, it becomes, do I separate the space for a jump shot? Do I wrap, get downhill? Or do I wrap to create a passing angle? A, B, or C. If you beat them, then it's, can I turn the corner? A. Can I force a switch and drag them? B. Or can I hit somebody? C. That's decision making at its finest. I don't even, it's crazy, because you guys see all the stuff that Jason or Joel or somebody like that does in the post. They don't have any reads. Jason's base package is, I'm here, option one going this way, I got three reads going this way. Option one is rip. Option two is rip sidestep. And option three is his delay. But then out of those, he might rip and sidestep and then get downhill. He might rip and then take a second dribble, or he might rip and then spin back. Those are one, two, and three. And then if he goes to go spin back, then it's do I spin or do I have spin? But it's a constant decision-making tree where it's never more than three options. If you can get your players to understand that, instead of coming off a ball screen and going, oh shit, I got 57 reads that my trainer taught me, it's, oh, he's blitzing out. So either split through, force a switch, or get around. Dang, that's easy, I can make that read. That's when I think when you simplify the game in that manner, even at the highest level, it makes players really good. And angles, I would just say, everything should go uphill to downhill or downhill to uphill. So I love ball screens where Chris Paul's right here and they set a screen here and he comes off and shoots that mid-range. I love when guys are, I'm up here and a screen comes and I get to take off. Now I'm going to want to get some hit that doesn't like to move laterally. Yep. Just uh, building off uh, player workouts, um, former high school coach workout college and high school players. College is easy because you know what the coaches want from them. High school, just for example, I had a player last year that good shooter, off screens, goes to his high school team, he's about 6'3", gets put, put underneath, mid post, like high post, low post, he's a sophomore, coach starts using him there. In the long term, now this year he's going to be more outside. In the long term, and for maybe D2, D3 college, he's going to be a catch-and-shoot type of guy. But I felt like last year I did a lot of the shooting workouts and he got put in the season in a spot where he wasn't as comfortable. So how much time would you spend thinking about high school athletes that aspire to play in college doing uh, more than just like specialization? 
you know, players like that. Yeah, I think like it's that. huge. So a lot, some of you guys have heard the story. If you guys saw Jason Tatum's cover slam article, he they wrote about us spending a week on the jab step where we didn't shoot one jump shot at the 13-year-old who worked on a jab or jabs in one week. So for me, that's why if you're a 13-year-old kid and you work with me, you're either going to be really special or you're going to hate basketball and hate me. Because I'm obsessive with long-term. I didn't even, and, and this is weird, RJ Barrett, for instance, at Duke. I've had him since he was like 14 or 15 years old. Jason Tatum, I had him since he was 13. I didn't teach either one of them how to shoot until right before college. Most people would be like, you screwed over the kid. What I wanted to do is I wanted him to be so good that he didn't have a shot, that he could do everything else, and then when he added a shot, he felt like God out there. Mm -hmm. And so, Jason, when he finally could start shooting, he literally felt invincible. And so what I would tell you is, the first thing is I would communicate with their coach. The one thing that I do a lot better than most player development guys is I put my ego aside and I work with the coaches. In February of last year, Brad Stevens had me, Danny, all these guys on a phone call, and we started talking about it. Jason Tatum's strength and conditioning program, his off-season basketball program, his travel program for marketing it. I mean, Brad goes down to the detail, but we all wanted to be on the same page because then we could get him the best results. So if you and the coach and everybody else cares about the kid the most, mm -hmm. you guys will all sit down and say, hey, listen, here's what we think long-term will be best for him. Here's what you need short-term. Let's collectively come up with something that benefits. If the high school coach gives a shit about the kid, he'll put him in a position that'll help him long-term while also put him in position to help him in the short-term. We had a kid in my high school that uh, he went to SLU, St. Louis University, and he was the most dominant post player in Missouri. He won two back-to-back -back state championships. My coach knew as a college player, if he wanted a chance to make the pros, he had to play on the perimeter because he was like 6'8". And 6'8 is like a three guard in the NBA. And so what he would always do is, hey listen, there's some games where I'm gonna need you just to win the game here. But there's other games where I know we're gonna win and we're gonna put you in a lot of situations out there. That's a coach that cares. You're also gonna have situations where your hands are tied. You know what I mean? There's gonna be some situations, I won't ever name them, but there's some coaches in the league that you're like, come on man, you don't get it. And that's, that's fine, that's their power. They, they're, it's their team. But the biggest thing you try to do is communicate, and as long as you're kind of open, then you can kind of help the kid, because then everyone knows the plan, and you're not surprised by it. Yep. Um, so I know you mentioned the 30-minute workouts. Um, do you have any constraints uh, on time in the gym, or how many things you're working on in a certain session? Is that very Yeah, good question. I mean, my thing is, I honestly would rather you lock in on one or two things maximum. But like, Notice when I said my, like, even Joel, I'm like, your post-move series, and he's got, like, six go-to things, and you're getting a ton of reps. This summer, we got to work, Jason and Kobe, and that was the biggest thing. Jason was like, bro, we did OD reps. You know what I mean? Like, Kobe be like, all right, so we're going to do a jab jumper. And Jason be like, cool. And he'd be like, make 10 switches. You're like, do I really have to make 10? He's like, just master. You know what I mean? And so I think that too many people in my position they're so worried about impressing the clients and getting them to come back that they're worried about boring them when the truth is all that should matter is the result. And so what I would tell you is simplify it. You know what I mean? Like if you're DeAndre Jordan, your first workout should be lob dunks, your second workout should be lob dunks, and your third lob dunks. You know what I mean? Like that's all you're going to do. So you don't need anything besides being really good at catching, finishing, and free throw. So I just think that people complicate the game. The funny thing is when I started started working out guys and now where I'm at, the more I know the less I do. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? I'm just a lot more scientific behind everything but the more I know the less I do. Because when I was younger I wanted to impress people. Now I don't give a shit. I just care about the result at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And I asked this question the other day to a player but Okay, how many of you guys know that Michael Jordan did not shoot over 20% from three until his sixth season in the NBA? Kevin Durant didn't shoot over 30% his first year. Dirk Nowinski didn't shoot over 30% over his first year. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, all those guys did not shoot over 34% from their career from three. How many of you guys think Larry Bird and Reggie Miller are really good shooters? They didn't shoot over 40% from three. So my point is, a lot of people have this kind of 
misconception of what a good shooter is. How many of you guys would say Larry Bird was not a good shooter? None of you guys, right? But he didn't shoot very well percentage-wise. Analytics didn't back that. Now you knew he was going to make shots. Michael Jordan shot terrible from the three-point line. But trust me, if the game was online, you thought he was going to make shots. When that commercial came out, I failed this many times in a row. You're like, wait, he missed a game winner? I don't remember that. And so my point is, sometimes it takes a long time. And I asked a player the other day, hey, if in your first five years of your career, you made zero three-pointers, but your next 10 years in your career, you shot 40%, would you say yes or no to that? And they were like, I mean, yeah. I was like, so we can't stress for the first five years. And that's hard for players to have a long-term mentality. And the good thing is, I'm fortunate to work with some superstars that have five years to, you know what I mean? But the truth is, you gotta ask some of your players, you got a sixth grader, hey listen, I'm gonna change your shot, but for the next year, you're not gonna be able to shoot threes. But guess what? Your mid-range gonna be passed, but in three years, or when you go try out for varsity as a freshman, you got a better chance of making it. I just don't work with people that are short-term and they, you know what I mean? It's like I have so many, like, I have so many guys that want to be trainers, and they're so blindsided by short-term money or short-term kind of fame on social media that they don't get it. If I wanted a million Instagram followers, I could easily have a million Instagram followers. Shit, the whole city of Philadelphia would have followed me if I had posted Markel's shot. Like, I, I, have, I have footage of Joel getting dunked on by R.J. Barrett that I never posted. I have footage of Jason and Joel playing like I posted a couple clips. We've got a lot more clips than we have posted. I don't do it because the long term, me respecting my clients, me protecting my clients, is way more important than the short term of having a bunch of Instagram followers. And so that's what I would say is just making sure that you keep that long term. Why do I do this clinic for free? I could have easily set this up a month ago and charged 100 bucks a player easily, and I could have charged 100 bucks a coach, and I could have made a couple thousand dollars, but the truth is, I don't care. It's not about the money, it's that I really want to give back, and in the long run, somehow that's going to benefit. I don't know how. I'm never going to make that money back, like, you know what I mean? But now, there's a lot of people, I'm doing this in every city I go to, and I travel all day, every day, there's a lot of people that are going to know that I genuinely care about basketball players and coaches. And that's going to, there's going to be a long-term win at some point. I know that will. Other questions? Um, this one's more macro. We've seen the game change so much. I mean, it used to be played in the square almost in the 90s, mid-post isolation in the 2000s. Where do you see it going in like the next five? This could be progressive. Yeah, no question. You know? So I think the new thing, he was asking, where is the game going? You know, obviously it started out in, and you had, you know, back, back when you had, this changed so much. When you had an era of the big guys dominating, and then you had, you know, the era of iso ball, and now it's, now it's three-point ball. I think in the next five years, in the short term, there's going to be a lot more switching going on on defense because analytically to take away threes, which is actually going to bring back isolation creation, and there's going to be a lot more weak side actions to move weak side defenders. A lot of stuff. So what's, what's going on nowadays is you're getting a mismatch and trying to take advantage of it while not letting the defense load. So there's a ton of actions going on. There's going to be a lot more big guys that, I mean, the reason that the Celtics beat the Sixers was because Al Horford took advantage of, took Joel away from the paint. So now teams, the Sixers, are going to do everything to switch everything so Joel stays back. And then vice versa, the Celtics are going to switch everything so they run guys off the three-point line and take away that analytical. So I think that a lot more players will get back to you have to be able to create to play. And I also think there's a lot more flips, uh, handoffs, misdirection, slips. I mean, there's going to be a ton of uh, dead ball situations. So instead of dribbling, it'll be a lot more pass so that you can flip, you can fake, you can cut. You can, because then you have so many more options for switches. There's going to be a ton of different things that coaches are doing to try to get the defenders miscommunicating and, and kind of messing up. Which is why it's so important that trainers know basketball. Because that's where players, that, honestly, it's funny because there's literally some trainers that NBA coaches will like almost welcome into conversation just to laugh. Because they'll be like, they know everything little, but they don't know how it builds up the big thing. But then there's also coaches, like 
this is the funniest thing. Every single coaches clinic I ever go to when I do a big like, you know, state university, state coaches clinic with a thousand coaches, one of the first five questions I get is, hey, I coach a high school, we're not as talented, teams are zoning us and we can't shoot. So what are some plays that we can do if we don't have any shooters? And I literally go, you're gonna think I'm an asshole, but teach them how to fucking shoot. <laughs> and everybody else laughs, and that coach is like, he literally still doesn't get it. He's like, <laughs> okay, so what plays? I'm like, you fucking don't get it. Like, if you did your job all summer and taught your kids how to shoot, then you wouldn't have that problem. So that's what I would tell you guys is, as coaches, you need to understand how to improve your team without changing your team. And what I said yesterday, I loved, it's a new quote that I'm literally, I should, I should have put it out already, but don't be a victim of your personnel. Don't be a victim of your personnel. Don't say, ah, yeah, we're young. That's a bullshit excuse because guess what? Kentucky and Duke, they have one and done guys and kick everybody else's ass. Ah, we don't have enough talent. Develop it. Start a youth program that leads up to your high school program and boom. Ah, the rules don't allow us to work out. That's bullshit. No one follows those fucking rules anyways. Okay, and if you want to follow the rules, put up boards with workouts and tell your players to fucking follow them. Because there's no rule against having a board that tells them what to do. You know what I mean? So you can do stuff. My coach was great at this. My coach would do this. He'd have, here's the workout of the day. It's optional though, because it has to be. But guess what? Your fucking playing time's optional too. So go ahead, your choice is my choice. Don't show up and I'm not gonna play. So that, I mean, that's what you can do. I think just don't be a victim of your personnel. I got two questions. So for one, uh, if you're a player development coach, high school coach, whatever, what do you think is it? What are some difficulties in terms of developing your staff to analyze the game a little bit better? Where, where is the coming to issue? And if you kind of develop other trainers that are underneath your wing, NBA, NBA organizations that have multiple video coordinators that want to be player development coaches? That's a great question. So the question was about like if I'm developing other trainers or if coaches are developing their assistant coaches, that is really hard. Because let me tell you, the one thing that I struggle with as a business owner is when you first start letting other people do things, you have your way of doing it, and they might not do it your way, or they might not do it as well as you do, and so then you want to redo it, and you end up working harder. What you have to do is you have to build them up and then trust them. And so what I like is especially, I like, hey, listen, I need you to do everything to figure out the offensive systems of every team we're playing so you be my defensive coordinator. I need you to be my defense, you know, my offensive coordinator. I need you to find out, and, and then you get everybody working together. But I think specialization is so important. And if you look at the NBA, Kyle Korver, what does he do? He shoots. That's what he does. You know what I mean? Like, that's all he does. But he gets paid a lot of money because he can shoot well. And so if you look at it, it's specialized in something. Because I see too many, I, the, the problem with most staffs and most trainers and most people in general in life is they're not going to be happy and they're not going to go all in until they get the job that they want. So most of the NBA player development coaches, that's a stepping stone job. They went from assistant video coordinator to video coordinator to player development. They don't give a shit about player development. They just want to be assistant coach. And that's the problem with the organization. And so what I would say is don't let your assistant coaches feel like assistant coaches. If you watch good head coaches, they empower their assistant coaches. If you watch good trainers, they empower their other trainers. I will literally go to workouts with guys that are on pure sweat, and I sit back and observe. And if they're fucking up, I don't say it in a public setting. After, while the drill's going on, they're doing it, they're teaching, boom, and I pull them aside, hey listen, one of the things you can do a little bit better is this and this. And then he goes and instructs them to do it. You know why? Because the second that I step on the court and correct him, then everything, then they lose trust with the players, the coach, then there's a uh, kind of a back and forth between us. But it's, it's kind of like the, the work, at, you know, master the role you're in while working towards the job that you want. It's the same thing. You have to fucking really go all in in the job that you're in while working towards the job you want. The thing that I laugh at more than anything, I get so many fucking trainers that hit me up on direct message. Hey, um, yeah, so right now I work out Jim and Sally, but like, um, I want to work out NBA guys. And I'm like, okay, well, let me tell you this. Uh, how many kids do you currently work with in your area? Uh, seven. 
I'm like, okay, so if you can tell me that in the whole Boston area, only seven kids want to work with not even one team, how the fuck is Jason Taylor going to want to work with you? You know what I mean? And people don't realize I started with sixth graders. I started with sixth graders. But I had 96 sixth graders that started working with me. And I had, then I kept going on and on and on. I had 96 sixth, seventh, and eighth graders that worked with me when I was a 16 and 17 year old high school kid. And guess what? One of those kids was Brad Beal. And then I helped him go from eight points a game to 24 points a game, and then he got drafted. Now, did I make Brad Beal? No. Did I help Brad Beal? Yes. But if I wasn't working with all those kids, then one of them wouldn't have been there. And so I think that that's where most coaches were wrong. I, I hate when coaches come up, hey, Drew, hey, listen. All right, so like, I had to take a job at this smaller school. I'm like, fuck you. Like, that school needs you to be enthusiastic about your job. Otherwise, you don't deserve that position. You can never be above where you're at. Second question. Uh, based on the interaction with Brad Stevens and other coaches, in your opinion, what makes Brad Stevens Brad Stevens? So he's asking about Brad Stevens. So obviously personal conversations stay personal. The best thing about Brad Stevens, in my opinion, that he does better than other coaches, he's gut. What I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. His team gets a rebound 10 seconds left. Most coaches, time out because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, Brad will let them try to push the ball and he's reading the game. And if he sees that his guy can make a play, he's gonna trust his players. If he sees that he doesn't think the play is gonna happen like it needs to, he'll call a timeout. So he doesn't go, it's one of those things, he doesn't do exactly what you're supposed to do every time. Like if you play the exact house rules in blackjack, you're gonna lose over time. That's what, that's what stats say. So what he does is he goes by field. And he's really, really good. He's really good at that, and he's very smart. The best coaches in the game, they've studied so much film that they know what the, they put themselves in. So they're in a timeout. Boom, timeout. We're drawing a side line out of bounds plays. Instead of saying, here's the play I want to draw, he's thinking, okay, that coach over there, if I was that coach, I would switch one through four. I would put this guy here. I put this. So now I can draw my play up based on what I think they're going to do. That's what I would say. Um, now working with high level players, you're already, you're already athletic, but how do you get the other guys who are high school level to be a little more athletic, maybe a little faster, a little stronger, run right, some run flat foot? Yeah, so I, I don't deal with the athleticism part, but what I'd say is there's a lot of, like, let me ask you a question, and this is, this is a tricky question. Is Steve Nash athletic? Yes. He is? Yes. So he can jump high? No. Can he run really fast? No. So what, why is he athletic? Hand-eye coordination, passing. He's smart, and he knows how to use his body, and he's efficient with his movements. So that's what I would say is, again, don't be a victim of your personnel. Don't be a victim of who you are. Make them really smart. I, I, for whatever reason, I was considered like a bully ball guard. Now it's a little bit bigger I was when I lifted weights, but like I was 175 pounds as a 5'11 guy in high school. I was bullying people, but it's because I knew how to use my leverage. There's times that literally my interns, I'll be like here and I'll be like, yo, you got a Joel, you got to be able to boom. And they're like, like this, and then Joel bumps him and they're like, because he's big, but they're like, Drew's hurt more than Joel's because he knew how to use his body. So what I would say is teach him. So if they're here, instead of taking a step here and then going, teach them how to push off and go there. More efficient, more effective, makes them a better athlete. It's a tricky question, you know what I mean? It really is, but it's, it's more about using what you have than Bitching about what you have. Yeah, yeah. Let's do like a couple more questions. That's a good question. How much film do I give my guys during the season? I never make an edit more than 10 minutes long because I know they're not going to watch it if it's more than 10 minutes long. Um, and I really spend a lot of time organizing the content in a way that they can really make sense of what I'm doing. So. If it is, like tonight, I'm going over to Joe's hotel to just look at a bunch of double team situations, and it's really organized into if they trap from the nail with a shooter at the nail, if they trap from the nail and you have a slasher, if they trap from the back, a crack back, and you have a, a cutter, if you have a crack back. So he knows there's five situations that are gonna happen, and then here are the options. 
and it's just broken down into very, we'll never have more than like one focus per, per film study. So that they really can lock in and, and I can hit them with quick hits. That creates bias. A 27 minute edit is really a five minute edit because they can cut it off after five minutes. You know what I mean? So that's what I would say is just make them short. You have to watch everything, but you give them only the thing that matters most. Uh, a lot of former NBA players like, like KG and Michelle is saying that player development coaches can't really be great player development coaches if they haven't played at a high level themselves. What's your stance on them? So the thing was, he said KG said that a lot of uh, player development coaches are not like high level basketball players, so they can't teach high level basketball. And like the other day, Isaiah Thomas came out and was like talking about Markel shot. And was like, I don't know why he didn't just pick an NBA player, train him, he picks like, you know, whatever. And he didn't know who it was or anything. And I, being me, I tweeted out my three-point percentage and his three-point percentage, which I doubled fucking Isaiah Thomas' three-point percentage. Was he better than me? Yeah, but he doesn't know how to shoot better and teach better. And so what I would say is those coaches, our players, they don't realize that sometimes they're really good because of feel and instinct. There's some players that are fucking amazing. Like LeBron and Kobe's of the world, they know everything. They know why. They know, you know what I mean? They're, they're students of the game. There's other, like, Hall of Famers that you would literally, if you had a basketball talk with them, you'd be like, what the fuck? So, my, my thing is, it goes, it's bullshit, is what it is. It comes out, like, is Brad Stevens a good coach? Like, was he, what NBA team did he play for? Fuck. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's not, it, it, it's not about who, like what you were as a player. And it's easy to say that, you know what I mean? But it's, it's all about what you are now, you know? Adding value is adding value. I'll tell you this, if there was somebody that came to me and said, hey listen, I work for free, I'm not gonna charge you anything, but I can make you more money by doing this, this, and this, and if I do, I'm gonna take a percentage of it, but I'm going to do this, cool. I have no risk and I'll all reward? Why would you not take that chance? But it's when people start, saying, oh, I've done this, so you should, then that's not right, you know what I mean? There's a lot of really successful, like, there's a lot of successful business owners that they couldn't help me out, because it's basketball, you know what I mean? Like, it's understanding basketball, you do, so. I think, I think too many people have, but I do think it's important in the player development that you can demonstrate at some level, because there are a lot of visual learners. So like, Joel will literally be like, do it. Do it. Let me start one. Do it. Do it. Do it. And then like, okay. And then do it full speed. You'll be like, holy shit. But a lot of people, like, there's times where Jason, I'll start telling him something. He'll be like, he'll pass me the ball and be like, just do it. So you do have to have at least the ability to kind of do it. But you don't have to. Like, Phil Jackson wasn't out there showing Michael Jordan out of your fadeaways. You know what I mean? So I think that it's different. Depends on what you're doing. But ask yourself this question. Would you trust somebody with a broke-ass jump shot to fix your jump shot? Would you trust a fat nutritionist? You know what I mean? No. So you have to play the part in some ways, but it, it's not the it's not the final set. Yep. Every year I get offered by about 20 of the kids. Like completely running the player development, front of the bench jobs half million dollar jobs, I have no interest. The other thing is, how fucked up is this? I've been working with Brad for what, 11 years? And say I take a job with the Orlando Magic in the Eastern Conference, and then we play the Washington Wizards, and I'm like, okay, here's how we stop Brad. That's fucked up, you know what I mean? Like, my thing is loyalty. You know what I mean? Like, loyalty. And, and so, um, do I think that eventually I might coach? Maybe, but I would rather coach at the college level. Y'all are gonna see in like 15 years, I'm gonna take the Pepperdine job and be living on a beach in Malibu. I'm gonna take five of the top prospects and just prepare them for the draft and have two walk-ons that have private jets and we're gonna be, you know, <laughs> in the final four. Yeah. That's, my, that's my ultimate plan.
about if you have players that over dribble and try to do too much, how do you help them understand that it's less is more? And the truth is, I just put guys in the situations where they are forced to. So I'll give you an example, okay? Um, make them play one dribble one-on-one. They're getting their ass busted eventually they'll learn how to score in one dribble. Uh, I think that a lot of people don't put enough competitive emphasis on stuff. If I was running a team, I would never have warm-ups where they do 45 degree wide open layup lines. Why? Because they're never gonna, they're gonna make those in the game if they're uncontested 45 degree, otherwise you couldn't play them. So why not just move your lines over and have them work on tucking the ball and then finishing it? Why not have one of your assistant coaches stand here and they have to do some kind of jump up and slide by? Make it more realistic so they're more prepared. So what I would do is I always create drills. I reverse engineer my creation of drills so that you force them to do it. So it's like, hey, listen, we're doing attack one-on-one -on -one from half court. You got three dribbles to score. They go bang, 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 and they're like at the three-point line. You're like, fuck you. Like, that's on you. You know what I mean? So I would just force them to do things in a limited amount of dribbles. And then also do stuff where there are times where I do no dribble one-on-one. -on -one. There's a screener here, and they're right there. They can backdoor it. They can shove off and curl, but they get zero dribbles. So if you can't move without the ball, you can't do it. I've done one. I've done no dribble one-on-one -on -one in the post. So that they have to really hold and then release and shoot it or chop it and circle and and maybe you get them up in the air and get a foul, but that's when you get really elite. Zero dribble one-on-one. -on -one. So I would just force them to force them.